You're listening to the Grace Covenant Statesville audio podcast. What's interesting about the term kingdom of heaven, it's only used in the gospel of Matthew. Um, So Matthew will will change in and out. He'll use kingdom of God. He uses kingdom of God four different times. Um, But on 31 different occasions, he refers to the kingdom of heaven. They're both, they're synonymous terms and they mean the same thing. So the the question is, what is the kingdom of God? Uh, Jesus used 10 different analogies to describe it. In different different points in the Gospels, he said, the kingdom of God is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. Or the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. The one I liked is the kingdom of God is like yeast. Or a treasure hidden in a field. A merchant looking for fine pearls. A net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. The kingdom of God is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants, a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard, a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. And the kingdom of God is like 10 virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. So 10 different analogies that Jesus used to describe the kingdom of God. And they're all a little different. They all portray a different nuance, if you will, of the kingdom. But the biggest confusion when it comes to the kingdom of God is, when is the kingdom of God? In Mark uh, chapter 6, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he says, Blessed are the poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Present tense. The kingdom is yours, those at that point in time. Yet at other times, Jesus was talking about the kingdom of God in the future. He said, uh, in um, I think it was Mark, he says, when you see these things happening, you will know that the kingdom of God is near. When you see these things happening, the kingdom of God is near. Another time he says, I will not eat or drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Again, he's pointing to a time in the future, a time yet to come. So when we talk about the kingdom of God, there can be some little uncertainty around it. All right, what is it? It's a little, it's not really hard and fast as far as how we can define it. What is crystal clear, however, what is crystal clear is that the kingdom of God is very, very important. In Luke 4, Jesus says this to his followers. He says, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns also, because that is why I was sent. When we always talk about Jesus coming to die for us, and certainly that's part of it, but in his own words, he says, I came to proclaim the good news of God's kingdom. Later on, he says, he taught his disciples how to pray. He said, God's kingdom was the very first thing he mentioned after the salutation in the Lord's Prayer. In fact, let's look at that together. Matthew chapter 6, we'll find this. Let's read this together, can we? This is the first part of the Lord's Prayer. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, some of you want to continue on because that's the way you were taught, but we're going to pause there at this point. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, the next few minutes as we continue talking about your kingdom, uh, I just ask that you would help me to be able to communicate clearly. Father, that your spirit would make real with our own spirits what, uh, Father, you were doing, not just in times past, but today as well as the future. 
so Father, again, we just commit this next few minutes to you and trust you for all things. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. So let me try and bring a little more clarity to this issue of what is the kingdom of God. Uh, so we are actually entering a, a, a series on the kingdom of God. In fact, it's the longest series, I, when I've heard, it's the longest series we've ever done at Grace Covenant, 10 weeks. Um, 10 weeks, look at the kingdom of God. We're going to spend three weeks looking at the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount. Um, we're going to talk about things like um, justice, at seen in the New Testament. Again, what does it mean to, be, to live and to exist within the kingdom of God? But let me also just say that the kingdom of God does not refer to a geographical territory. You know, sometimes in our medieval history, we had the kingdom of such and such, or the kingdom of this and the kingdom of that. And it was a real geographic region. Um, it had borders, um, and it had occupants, it had a king, and it had people in it. Um, but it was a geographic territory. That's not what we're talking about when we're talking about the kingdom of God. Nor are we referring specifically to the inhabitants of the kingdom. Um, although we would say that we want to be members of or be part of God's kingdom, that's not the same kind of thing that they're talking about here. Instead, when we're talking about the kingdom of God, we hear Jesus talking about it, we hear it in the New Testament. Kingdom refers to the activity of the king himself the exercise of his sovereign power. So put another way, God's kingdom exists wherever he is in authority. So wherever he is in authority, that's where the kingdom of God exists. So that means that when Jesus was in person here on earth, the kingdom was present in him and was present wherever he went. So in Matthew, he says, and as he was going through, he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. He's talking about himself. Repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. In Luke chapter 17, he says, once upon being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say here it is or there it is because the kingdom of God is in your midst. So then when Jesus then returned to heaven, he sent the Holy Spirit who lives within us. We spent time talking about that the past series we just finished on the Holy Spirit. So if God has authority over our lives, his kingdom is present in us. The kingdom of God exists whenever and wherever we go. Matthew 10, Jesus was talking to his disciples, and he says, as you go, proclaim this message, the kingdom of heaven has come near. So earlier he was talking about that, he says, he says that about himself, the kingdom of heaven is near. Here he's talking about the disciples, as you go, you proclaim the same message, because as the spirit is within you, you are also carrying with you the kingdom of God. Ultimately, the kingdom of God will reach its full impact when Jesus returns and establishes his kingdom worldwide. So the kingdom is here, but it's also not yet. It's here in part. It will be in full then in the future as well. And that's where some of the confusion is, is right, we talk about the kingdom of God and yes, it exists and yes, we're, we're part of it, but yet it's still more to come um, when Jesus returns. So again, the kingdom of God is present wherever God is in authority. Jesus came to establish God's kingdom on earth and make it possible for us to be a part of his kingdom. 
The kingdom is both the present spiritual reign of God and it's the future realm over which he will rule in power and glory. It is now and is yet to come. Both and. As followers of Jesus Christ, we are dual citizens. We are citizens of this world, but we're also citizens of heaven. I love how Paul put it in Philippians chapter 3. He says, our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there. The Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. The kingdom of God exists wherever God is in authority. Now, ultimately, the kingdom of God is the restoration of what things were like in the Garden of Eden. This is the way things were intended before sin entered the world and destroyed what God had intended. That reminds me of a story I, I came across here recently. Um, it's a story of a little boy um, and his family. His little boy's name was Hagen. Um, and they were flying on Southwest Airlines. Um, and it says that it wasn't until Hagen and his family, I think we got a picture of him, yes. <laughs> so there's Hagen, um, and that's his uh, little friend. Uh, there's Buddy um, um, Buzz Lightyear, thank you. It's like, ah, I just forgot it. Though. All, I could say was, all I could think of was to infinity and beyond. I got that. But I, it's like, Buzz Lightyear, thank you. So it wasn't until Hagen and his family had deboarded the plane at Dallas Love Airfield and were driving away in a rental car that they noticed Hagen had accidentally left his special toy on board. Of course, by then, the aircraft was well on its way to the next destination. Eventually, the plane made it to Little Rock, where it was scheduled to stay for the night. That's where Jason, a ramp agent at Little Rock, came across Hagen's left-behind toy. Jason knew someone was missing their friend badly, so he began some investigating to discover who he belonged to. Soon, a name written on the bottom of the boot caught Jason's eye, which said Hagen. So with the help of his co-worker, Jason learned there was only one Hagen who had traveled on that aircraft that day. Instantly, Jason came up with a plan. A few days later, Hagen and his family received a special surprise in the mail. Not only had his buddy returned, but he arrived in a hand-decorated box, complete with a letter describing his mission at Southwest Airlines and pictures to boot. So let me see. So... So they had this, all this packaging they put together to, to design it. So I love the letter here. So to Commander Hagen, I am very excited to return to you upon completing my mission. I was able to explore the airport and spaceport in Little Rock, Arkansas, while I was away and have included photos of my adventure. My journey has taught me a lot, but I am so thankful to return to my buddy, to infinity and beyond, your buddy Buzz Lightyear, Space Ranger. What I love about this is he literally had to put his camera on the ground to get that picture uh, to do that. Um, and there's a few others, photos as well. Yeah, I, uh, this is, I love this one. He's in the cockpit. Uh, so he has mission. And then we end up uh, with this one. I love, then his mother at the very end, Hagen's mom, she commented that... Um, there's definitely not enough good in this world. And for someone to take the time out of their day to do what to do that for strangers means the world to us. Um, 
I think for Hagen, uh, that picture there is because of the selfless actions of a Southwest ramp agent, his world was once again the way it was supposed to be. All was good. Likewise, what was lost in the fall in the Garden of Eden has been restored to us, and been restored to God's kingdom through Jesus Christ. So, as kind of just an overview here today, I just wanted just five things that I just want to say. Here's five things that were lost but have now been found because of the restoration of God's kingdom. And the first thing that we, we um, I just want to reference is, is the idea of life. Life itself. Genesis 3, God in talking to Adam and Eve, he gave very clear instructions. You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. Now we know how that story ends, don't we? It didn't end well. And both Adam and Eve ate the fruit and sin entered the world which resulted in death. Now contrast that what we read in Romans chapter 5. Paul is writing here and he says, For if by the trespass of one man, Adam and Eve, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? So Paul makes the, Paul makes the, the comparison. Listen, if Adam's one that can cause sin for all of us, Jesus Jesus, the Son of God, could bring redemption and could bring back the way things were intended to be. I love uh, in John 10, uh, Jesus himself says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full and have it abundantly, depending upon your translation. Through through Adam and Eve's disobedience, spiritual death came for humanity. But through Jesus' death and resurrection, the way has been opened for spiritual life. So, it's one of the things that was lost that has been restored um, because of Jesus' death and resurrection and God's kingdom coming. Another thing that's been restored in God's kingdom is relationship. In Genesis 3, continuing on with the same narrative, same story, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Where are you? Ever have someone ask you a question that's not really a question? God wasn't playing hide and seek with Adam and Eve. He knew exactly where they were. This was not a question of, hey, I'm confused. Where are you? What he was doing What he was doing was drawing attention to the fact that things had changed. Things aren't the way they were supposed to be. Things aren't the way we designed them. Their sinful disobedience had broken the relationship with God, and his question was evidence of that. Where are you? What's changed? Can you imagine what had to have happened into the relationship for them to become fearful of God and hide from him? I mean, can you imagine what was going on? They, these are two people who didn't know this before. They didn't know those feelings and emotions, but they knew something was wrong and something was broken. Now contrast that with what we see from Paul, and again in Romans chapter 5, Paul tells us that therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God. 
through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. See, Jesus came to pay the penalty for sin that humanity might be restored back to right relationship with God as God's kingdom was reestablished here on earth. So we've had life, we've got restoration of relationship. In God's kingdom, we also now have a restoration of purpose and authority. I'm going to combine those two together there. In Genesis 1, we read that God made people in his image to rule over the fish, the birds, livestock. It goes on to describe a few other things, basically all all animals on the earth. Now, on the surface, it sounds like God was making us game wardens, doesn't it? You know, there's an animal park and you're the ones feeding, you know, you're the one that has to clean out the pens and feed them. And, but but that's, that's, that's not what's happening here. I mean, not all. I mean, that's part of it. But, but, Gabe, but here's what God is saying to me. He says, I'm putting you in charge. What happens on earth is up to you. You're in charge. And again, we know that that didn't work out all that well. In contrast, in the kingdom of God, what we begin to see now begin to emerge is that we're given a second chance. We're given a chance to be his representatives here on earth. And as his representatives, he's given us authority within his kingdom through Jesus Christ. And then lastly, I think what's being returned to us or what's being redeemed for us is just this idea of hope. As a result of the fall, Adam and Eve were banished from the Garden of Eden and hope was lost due to their broken relationship with God. But God didn't leave us in that condition, did he? Again, that's the one thing that separates Christianity from all other religions, all other faiths, is that God saw our condition and took action on our behalf. He didn't leave us broken. He didn't leave us uh, without relationship. He didn't leave us without hope. John three sixteen and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. We live in a broken and we live in a fallen world. And yet within that broken, fallen world, God's kingdom has been and is being restored. And through Jesus, you and I have been given the opportunity to live within his kingdom. And that's the thing. We're not born into God's kingdom. It's not like we have this divine right because of our blood lineage. Remember, the kingdom of God exists wherever God is in authority. If you want to be part of God's kingdom, God has to have authority in your life. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.